Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a doof media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and I would absolutely be willing to kill my co-host, Scott Daly, if he stood in the way of my Master Wildbow's grand plans. And this is the weekly podcast where you and I eager... Wait, what? Hmm? Did... Did you just say that you'd... Willing to... Matt? Just read the script, Scott. This is the weekly podcast where my bestest, oldest, and most trusted friend Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbo's world of tolerable mind control, blue armored badasses, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. Matt, this week, Team Breakthrough has been mind-whammied. They're now all on Goddess's side, even as Victoria and Amy have their long-awaited throwdown. All seems doomed until Tristan switches over to Byron, who is yet to fall under the blue woman's th- thrall. Byron manages to convince Victoria not to kill her, and the two of them go to assist the major malfunctions who have found a prison target that appears to be dealing with Teacher. Matt, this week's chapters, especially this first one, are filled with stuff. We've got Amy and Victoria yelling at each other. We've got Chris becoming either very, very sneaky or, well, just Chris. Uh, we've got the Tristan and Byron conflict kind of, you know, laying its roots down. Um, in a way that I didn't expect, but still loved. What did you think of these two crazy chapters? Oh, it's great. Things are finally going well. Um, and <laughs> Byron has finally been revealed as the treacherous snake that I've known him to be all along. I can't believe um, this whole time, this whole time I was like, why does Matt think this? Why? It's because you were on Goddess's side yeah. from the beginning. From, it's all clear like, now. It's a week, a, a year, a year and a half ago. This has been your longest con. I just, I'm, I'm so disappointed. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's not my fault. Um, but no, in all in all seriousness, <laughs> setting aside jokes, um, yeah, this these were awesome. Um, nine nine dot three was it, it's funny because when when you're going back through it, you kind of can't believe how many things happen in this chapter. Um, yeah, and and it, I found it difficult to summarize actually because take everything that I said last week about. A chapter being difficult to summarize because it has all of these minute character interactions where you're like, man, I really want to read into, you know, uh, Sveta's word choice there. Take all of that and then add the level of like actual conflict within the team and mind control and, you know, long awaited uh, uh, confrontations between people and and possibly hidden motives behind actions. It's it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And I, I mean, I'm excited to talk about both chapters. 9.3. I think we could do an entire show on that chapter by itself. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much, there's so much going on there. Like, there, like it, it's hard to believe that the Victoria Amy confrontation and the team dealing with Byron stuff is the same chapter. Right. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, it's absolutely crazy. I'm so excited. So let's go ahead and, and move on so we can get to it faster. All right. Um, so first, some announcements. Uh, so if you haven't yet, you should stop by doofmedia.com and check out the submissions for the fan art contest. Uh, you can see all of them, I believe. Yeah. Um, also, I was looking at all the cool parahumans cosplay on the subreddit this last week and decided that the world needed more of that. <laughs> and thus, we've started the We've Got Ward Halloween costume contest. Uh, so as with the fan art contest, first prize is 100 bucks. runner-up is $25, and uh, the decision on the winner uh, will, be, will be made by the Doof Media patrons. 
uh, submissions are due by midnight on November 1st, and you can look at uh, the website to find the exact rules on how the contest works. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes as well. I think this was a great idea, Matt. I think, you know, we, we do the the fan art contest once every quarter, um, but I think we had such a good time with it last time. It's like we should do something else. And this idea came to you. And yeah, it's great. I'm we've gotten a submission already, <laughs> um, but I. I am very excited to see what you you guys all come up with this with this. I know there are people in our discord already talking and planning what they're going to do. Um, it, it's very exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. And, you know, make sure you make your costume really weird so that people in public ask what it is. Yeah. And, and then you, you're just it's just like advertising. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then also uh, we released the fourth episode of We Were Dice Vegas uh, uh, today, uh, today. As of this recording. And yeah couple days ago as of when you're probably listening to this so check that out it is great i love doing those yes and the next one should be soon or than this one was right we've already recorded it it's just getting the editing out um we're gonna try to get to a we we set a bi-weekly schedule for that when we originally started and i don't think we've ever um made that deadline (laughs) we're gonna try really hard um yeah I think I think the plan of recording the audio like well in advance of the time we would want the audio be, to be released like we did for the fifth episode. It's probably a good a good good plan. Yes, I agree. So. All right. Uh, community spotlight now where we read what people wrote from last week's thread. So the discussion question last week was Wildbo's ability to set up intimidating big bads is a strong suit of his works. Discuss the techniques he uses to accomplish this. And got some got some great answers. Um, first from Jay Maniac, uh, they think that there are two facets to setting up a big bad in a in a wild bow work. Number one, be infuriatingly vague, and number two, <laughs> leveraging our expectations. And they say these two absolutely go together because wild bow sets up uh, actions and reactions very well, so that while we can't gauge the exact nature of something, we can gauge how bad it is by the reactions of things we do understand. Uh, as a type of synthesis in which predicate B stands in relation to subject A and not as part of it. Uh, There are two ways to do this. One, when we meet or see the person or thing, and one while we're building up to it. Um, That's very interesting. And I I like uh, like the complexity of of how that's described, actually. Yeah, that's why I gave that one to you, because I knew you were going to enjoy it. (laughs) Yes. All right, uh, Bisexual Punch Party says... Uh, he relates this to a Jim Butcher quote who says, if you give Luke a lightsaber, you have to give Vader a Death Star. And he says, because the point of view characters in Wild Bo's works are already parahuman, he risks making his antagonist boring by giving them a higher power level to create challenge. Um, but he manages to avoid this by um, by making giving the villains like an interesting mindset and approach to problems. Like he says, if you give Taylor her toolbox, you have to give Jack a broadcaster shard that can influence capes around him and the warped desire to break people. If you give Victoria the need to be a true hero, her antagonist must be willing to break the rules she has limited with herself. And that's very true. Um, and I, I think that is a good example of, of kind of how Wildbo skirts what could be a dangerous, um, I use the word escalation. I know that's a very charged word in the world of perihumans, but um, uh, uh, like a needing to bigger and badder thing that could get boring and interesting. And that oh, doesn't yeah. seem to happen with any of these villains. Right. It's never just a straight up um, power versus power. Um, oh, this person's scary because they're they're strong. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and in fact, more. I mean, the end boss, <laughs> if you will, in in worm was someone like their level of power was so big that it didn't 
it didn't matter. Like there, if it was power versus power, everyone would have lost. Right, right, exactly. Um, Exe JPEG WMV says uh, the 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 attributes that Wabo uses are vague foreshadowing of the threat uh, being in in the world. You know, at the beginning of the series, then characters mentioning the specific current or past feats by said threat to illustrate how powerful they are. Then the protagonist and the main cast finally encounter the large threat and they're nearly flattened, barely surviving. Um, and then sometimes, depending on the threat, the protagonist and the main cast encounter the threat again, but instead exploit a weakness to win the encounter instead of barely surviving. Yeah, it's pretty pretty much a crash course in the, in the, the conflicts, the antagonist conflicts in the story. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Calerno uh, tries to kind of refine the discussion down, indicating that big bad could mean the final opponent of the story or any of the mini bosses along the way, which is very true. That's a it's a term that really has come from Buffy and Buffy the Vampire Slayer type discussions, because that was one of the first shows that used that kind of formula. Um, And to me, it means like every season has a big bad um, but it could it could be the mini bosses or the big ones. I think he says that um, Calerno chooses to focus on some of those those mini big bads, like the ones who dominate an arc or even across multiple arcs without being the true end game of the story. And they go on to say that the big bads are like stones tossed in the water. You see the ripples before you see the big bad themselves. And this gives them time to build tension and expectation, which Wildbow is then usually capable of backing up with some something worth of the payoff. It's like the T-Rex in Jurassic Park, just in textual form. And I think that I really like that idea of um, you see the ripples before you see the big bad themselves. Yeah, right. I mean, I like that comparison to Jurassic Park because that's one that's done perfectly where they're they spend like what half an hour, 45 minutes talking up the dinosaurs before they yeah. even show any of the especially any of the uh, scary ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I like that. Mm-hmm. So I ate all the peanuts uh, says in addition to what others have said regarding big, big bads being well foreshadowed and established. I'll add that they also all have a believable evolution as characters. They're all supremely capable and driven by human desires. This makes them not a vague evil, but instead it is possible to understand their motivations and to concretely relate them. While those sets up our protagonists with their talents, goals, and dreams against someone equally capable, committed, and ambitious, and then lets the conflict build into the kind, the, uh, the best kind of train wreck. <laughs> That's a very good point. Yeah, I like that. Executioner 404 says, I can't think of a much better setup to a villain than, oh yeah, that's the guy? What guy? The guy who ends the world. Jack Slash may not be the big bad, but he was his harbinger or stand-in for a long while. In a way, that's what makes Scion the benevolent god slash strongest hero's betrayal so much more painful. All of Scion's setup was in the distant background for 85% of the story, yet it made sense when it was all revealed. In comparison, Jack, the evil guy with a knife and an attitude, was always front and center, grabbing our attention like the narrative sleight of hand. The juxtaposition between them and their conversation at the end of Arc 26 when Jack passes off the tor- torch were really satisfying. Were, re- were a really satisfying development for the finale. I think that's a really good point, that, that moment where... Um, the, the guy who the whole time you thought was the big bad guy, um, literally passing that torch on, um, was a really good way to land. And, and it's, it's a, it's a great moment of escalation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, there's been a couple of comments here that have sort of, um, obliquely talked about the idea of like the term big bad. And I actually kind of, I actually chose it a little bit calculatedly because I was like, I don't just want to say villain because villain has its own unique yeah. connotations in parahumans. 
Um, and, I, and I don't want to say antagonist either because antagonist has its own like definition. But big bad is is actually vague enough that you can be like, well, who 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 are the big bads? Like, and then it causes you to think about it, and and um, you know, and people can disagree about what it means. Actually, yeah, and that's that's actually interesting to me. Uh, Anti Chris uh, says that. Basically, they, they point out that the scope of the world is such that not all threats directly relate to things our protagonist has to overcome. Uh, they say, And they say, generally, if a story goes to the trouble of mentioning a threat, it's because the protagonist is going to fight it. And stories being stories, this means the protagonist is almost guaranteed to kill it. The fact that we are assuming the protagonist's victory as a threat is introduced really blunts some of the impact of that threat. But Wildbow manages to introduce a dragon without cluing you in to the fact that the protagonist is a dragon slayer in the making. Um, yeah, I think that's that that's that's especially uh, that works especially well in Worm because um, like when I don't know I, I felt like e- even though I'm I consider myself to be moderately like genre savvy when Leviathan was introduced I I wasn't like oh yeah sure surely she's gonna defeat Leviathan eventually like, yeah I kind of I was like no she has bug powers she's not gonna defeat Leviathan so yeah and she doesn't actually <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, next up, we have Cinnamon. Cinnamon. <laughs> Thanks for making the names as hard as possible to read, everyone. That's really great, though. Um, they chose instead to take the question and talk about how Wildbow makes a character's allies seem more ominous than than necessarily setting up the bad guys. And their argument is that it's a lot harder to do that. It's a lot harder to make us scared of our our protagonist teammates than it is to make them scared of the actual villains of the story um and they went in on to talk about uh kenzie's setup and kind of uh, i think they said relating to kind of how cherish was described um and then of course they've gone through how we've all been nervous for like each and every one of the members of breakthrough and especially you matt especially yeah, you, you just- especially me crazy paranoid guy i think that's a very interesting point and and i think that that is one of the the things i've most enjoyed about this book is that all these characters that we like so much that are on this team still in the back of our mind we have that that gnawing threat right like that that thing like jessica knew something was going on and i don't know i don't we, we still don't know if that's been resolved or not yet Right. Yeah. We still we still don't know if that's what if if any of the things that we've seen so far is what Jessica was talking about. <laughs> They're all really bad things, but they might not be the bad thing. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be funny when she comes back and they're like, well, we, we took care of the problem, Jessica. Yeah. And then they say all 15 things that have happened. And then Jessica's <laughs> like, that's not that's not it. That's not it. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So, I mean, these were really all great answers to this question. I really liked reading through these, Matt. Um, the, the thing that I, I enjoyed the most, the, the general sense is a lot of um a lot of building up big bads is is how you relate them to other things in the world that we can't understand and that got me thinking about you know the slaughterhouse 9 and leviathan and we had this big arc in worm where leviathan we see leviathan as this impossibly hard to kill big thing and we don't introduce the slaughterhouse 9 till after that and then we tell um our our readers that they when they show up they have the same level of kind of countermeasures of they're 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 listed as the same level of threat that this huge city destroying monster was so like you get this this automatic understanding of the level of threat of these guys that if you had done this in reverse if you had talked about the slaughterhouse nine first and then leviathan second i don't think it would have achieved that same thing yeah 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 i like how they they contextualize one in terms of the other yeah yeah that's awesome um 
Cool. So uh, we also wanted to mention this week, just uh, in terms of general stuff happening on the subreddit, Professor Crispy shared an utterly dope worm musical number on the subreddit. Uh, we loved it so much that we wanted to share a little bit of it uh, here with permission to hopefully entice folks who haven't checked it out to head over there and listen to the whole thing. Uh, so have a listen. How does a bullying victim kicked to the curb by her best friend ripped, pulled and frayed to her threads end, blessed and with power to control slightly macroscopic critters turn out to be the supervillain skitter, no heavy hitter more death of a thousand stingers as her world got grimmer her justification thinner her chance of survival slimming her view on authority dimming but in bet, with flying bricks of blase, she became a kingpin for now she's just a spy, trying to worm her way inside the undersiders for arms master's pride he keeps her fake up but i'm sorry taylor wake up once you are insinuated would you ever cut ties with the first team that'd take you a darkness generator a joint manipulator paranoia activator and a mongrel monster maker this last one gave her trouble bitches bitches on a case our girl kicked her in the face and yeah that pretty much set the pace well the heroes bunkered down they said this chick is insane guys hostage taking spiders and blood drugging mayflies merely motor control or can't she see through their eyes either way she's never surprised let's give her a name guys skater queen of brockton bay they call me scared a queen of Brockton Bay And just a single shoe has dropped today But just you wait, just you wait Yeah, I, I think we're also going to put a link for that, uh, their SoundCloud, in the show notes. Um, it was, I think it dropped on Friday, right, Matt? And it was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was really great. Yeah, I was blown away. Yeah, just uh, amazing work. Um, the, I mean, like the song's already great. It's Hamilton. It's wonderful. And, the, but the lyrics are just, just out of this world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one last thing before we move on, we received a couple comments in last week's about last week's episode regarding our reaction to, to Chris's, you know, flip out and walk out the door. Um, some people said that we've, that it seems like we've now changed our tune regarding Chris or, or, or rather we're contradicting ourselves. Um, because we pointed out that Victoria showing up at Chris's orphanage a while ago was and confronting him was a bad call. But now we're kind of chastising the group for not going after him. And I guess my response to that would be, I don't necessarily think those two things relate as directly as they're being shown to. But even if they are, I think the reason why I pushed back on their reaction to Chris this time is because it seems like things have escalated a bit. Um, Chris seems to be getting worse. He's getting more abrasive. He's getting more touchy and it's getting to the point where it's becoming more and more dangerous and damaging for the team. So, um, I would say, I don't think they should like all show up at his house and say what's going on. But I do think, um, the whole, you know, leave him be, it's just the way he is. Strategy is not working and, and needs some reconsidering. Yeah, I, I think, I think I agree with you. I mean, especially when Victoria did just show up at his, at his orphanage she was um, like he, he got under her skin really quickly and she reacted really poorly to it. So, yeah, like the actual best case scenario would be they, they confront him, but they do it in a way where none of them are like they all understand that he's going to go after them and they don't let that happen. You know, they, they don't let him 
make it personal. Yeah. Um, and then that way it can be a productive conversation. Even if, even if they don't get any information out of him, um, it can be a productive conversation. So. Sure. Sure. Yeah. All right. Let's move on into the chapter discussion. Let's do it. So 9.3. And we immediately follow up the bombshell ending of the previous chapter uh, with Amy attempting to talk Goddess down from what she's done. Um, she's obviously so agitated that Dot emerges defensively holding her razor blade halberd aloft. Which is just adorable, Matt. Yeah. Dot doesn't get a lot of focus in this chapter, but I still love her. Yeah, which is interesting because Victoria doesn't really see her as a person. Um, yeah. So thus her point of view doesn't really focus on her, but we know she is. Oh, yeah. She's a great person. Yeah. She went on an adventure. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think we're going to obviously have a lot to say about Amy this week. The meeting between these two characters began last chapter, but like the meat of the stuff, the stuff I was most looking forward to them covering happens here. And uh, I'm going to have some some words for Amy by the end of this thing, Matt. Um, but but in the meantime, what we're doing here is quickly establishing Amy's displeasure with what's happening. Uh, it, things are not going the way she thought they were because for some reason she thought that a world conquering bad guy with mind control powers would not use those on people she was trying to convince to do her bidding. I don't know if she thought that one through. Yeah, or they thought that their their Kenzie projection would be sufficient. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, they didn't. They were wrong. Is well, the main thing. I'm blaming Amy. It's all Amy's um, fault. That's like the theme of if we okay. did episode titles, it's all Amy's fault. Is yeah. The I'm, name I'm, of I'm this just going to mention. I'm just going to mention up front that I, I'm aware of your feelings about Amy here, and I don't really have enough of a coherent position to disagree. But I don't. I definitely don't feel as strongly as you do here. Um, okay. So there's not going to be a lot of me disagreeing because I can't really make a, a counterpoint. I'm just like just seething with with internal unworded disagreement yeah i'm seething with um yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> um so, so it's interesting that the text doesn't focus on like like what it feels like to be mastered because in this case goddess's power doesn't really feel like much victoria is just a little bit disoriented at first her mental footing is a little bit off but she's not really bothered by it it's Everything's fine. It's just that now her priorities are goddesses priorities. Yeah, I, I love how that's kind of communicated to that confusion too. like she in the middle of listening to Amy. I blinked a few times. My thoughts turning over the use of the blinking to show that orientation. We then see her eyes dart around the room looking for inspiration, looking for some kind of thing to grab onto to like settle her brain to grab onto a train of thought. I mean, like they her her brain has just like undergone a, a paradigm shift. I think she even says it herself. She like her, her, a law, a large part of her priority based belief system has just been upturned and the, a new priority is that in number one. So I think, I think it's rather realistic here that Victoria's brain like takes a few moments to like catch up to that and like work through those connections. Um, and I think it's really wonderfully done. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It like, it makes sense. There'd be a big discontinuity, but yeah. then once that's passed through, she's just like, yeah, everything's yeah, fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and I think we'll talk more about the mind control in a bit. But I the, the gimmick and how it's expressed here is really wonderful. And I think in my mind, rivaled only by the the miasma point of view confusion back in Worm. Um, yeah. I, I, I loved it that there. And I love this here for very, very similar reasons. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
Um, uh, by the way, uh, somebody on our Discord, I, I forgot to write down their name, pointed out that uh, prior to being mastered, uh, Victoria referred to her as Bianca in her internal monologue mostly. And then as soon as this chapter starts, it's just goddess. It's always goddess. Um, and, and then also speaking of names, um, I, I don't know if this matters quite as much, but she she just thinks of Amy as Amy now, not Amelia anymore. Yeah, it's like to me, that's almost like it, it was so exa- like uh, Amy is who she is to her, even if she doesn't want her to be like, I think she had very consciously in the last chapter said, no, she's Amelia. I cannot call her Amy. But that fell apart rather quickly, as we noticed. And it's it's like she doesn't have the energy anymore and yeah. can only call her Amy. Yeah, the the goddess Bianca stuff I did not notice. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, me too. So when Victoria does join the conversation, uh, which has so far just been between Amy and Bianca, she's actually arguing on Goddess's side against Amy. And she quickly loses patience with Amy and tells her to get lost. Yeah, this conversation is really great. And and Amy's like being very truthful here. Like, I didn't think this was going to happen. I didn't think it was going to go this way. Um, I'm, I'm sorry that it did. You have to believe me. And victoria's rather barbed angry words do hurt her she says she describes it as a gut punch and it i mean it certainly is um but there's one part here that really jumped out at me that i wanted to focus on with you because i think it, it gives a pretty good window into victoria's overall thoughts because there's this moment where she says if i'd had to use my aura if i'd had my aura i might even have used it for punctuation for all the good it would do against amy now that's interesting because we know that the reason she doesn't have her aura is because she's not really there she's just a projection she's actually back in their base um but the question is why why would why would it not work on amy like why would her aura not work on amy i mean nothing we know about amy or her powers or anything blocks emotional like type of attacks i don't think yeah i was thinking about that like the most i could think of was like maybe victoria thinks that because she was exposed to it for her whole youth that she would have some resistance but i don't i think if she does believe that i'm pretty sure that's not correct yeah and i mean that that very well could be what i liked to think of it as is i don't how much how much does a does victoria think of amy as a human being with like emotions and like ability to process things like that like it feels to me like she she's otherized and monsterized amy so much to the point where this wouldn't even work on her a fear or awe either of those things those wouldn't work on amy she's she's she doesn't she can't understand emotions she's terrible she's not capable of fear yeah exactly exactly yeah that's interesting yeah i I do wonder what exactly she meant by that and and i'm I'm not sure so i mean it could be either of those it could be both could be neither it's true find your truth yeah i will (laughs) um so I like this exchange here. Um, Amy says, I do, but there's no point where I've done enough to make up for it. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Um, and and then Victoria thinks, did she mean to let bygones be bygones as if that was even possible? Was I misunderstanding? Quote, and then and she kind of quotes, done enough to make up for it. Um, and it's interesting because it's kind of like a, a misconception connection like this is a this is like reflecting sort of this refrain that victoria's had this whole time um of of uh, there there's a there's just a there's just a complete misunderstanding here so what i'm trying to say is 
Victoria is like trying to pattern match what Amy is saying onto her like thesis of like there are some things that just can't be forgiven and and she's asking to be forgiven and it's like well actually she's not really she's not really asking to be forgiven she's asking if there's something that she can do so so that she's counterbalanced the scale of what she did you know it's not quite the same thing as forgiving it's a it's, it's a different conception of of how these things work you know it's it, it kind of it indicates and, it, and there's several beats in this chapter that indicate this that the two of them have kind of incompatible ways of viewing uh all these issues of like guilt and, and responsibility and 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 what your obligations are when you've when you've wronged someone and um that's leads to problems in the conversation and i think it's going to lead to problems going forward probably yeah and i this is probably where you and i start to to differ because I, I completely agree that they they are neither of them is able to see the, the truth of the other, what what the expectation is, what the want is. But I don't think it's necessarily Victoria's responsibility to get, see like Amy's side of this. Like she Victoria is the wronged one here. Like she's the one that had something done to her. Um it should be Amy's job to understand what Victoria needs, not the other way around. And like, I, I see Amy as a person ruled by guilt here. Um, she's, she's ruled by guilt. She feels so bad about what she did. And, and that makes a lot of sense, but she thinks if I can fix it, if I can talk to her, if I can protect you from harm, I see that you're in it, you're, you're, you might get into a bad situation and I want to make sure that I do something to stop that. Um, I think that's what's driving Amy. And I think it's that, that guilt that's driving her is what gets her into trouble here. She's, she's involved herself with goddess on some level because of that guilt. She's, she's forcing this confrontation with Victoria at a point where Victoria is not ready for it because of that guilt. Mhm. Yeah, that's 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 true. Um yeah, I I don't have much much to say in response at this point. I guess we we'll, we'll move forward and see if we can uncover something that we can actually disagree about concretely. <laughs> um so yeah, Victoria asks Goddess if she plans on taking breakthrough with her when she leaves to her home planet. Um but not like because she doesn't want it necessarily. She's just trying to clarify the plan. Yeah, that's when you realize just how bad the whammy is, right? I mean, that's a that's a really yeah. great early indicator of just how bad she is compromised. Yeah, I love I love how that slow played because there's it's not like she does her she does her she casts her spell and then everyone's like, "Yes, yes, mistress, we serve you." Everyone's just kind of you gradually see that they're all just completely like, "All right, yeah, of of, of course everything that we're doing is now uh, just whatever you want or need." Um, so which brings up the question, though, why hasn't Goddess just mind whammied Amy or, or has she? Yeah, I, that's a really good question. Um, I, Amy does say things throughout this chapter that make you think, no, she has not. Right. She says, um, she, first of all, she's pushing against what what Goddess wants pretty hard. Um, and she's saying things like, if you're trying to win me over, this isn't the way. And we learn later they have a later conversation basically to the effect of you wanted people around you that weren't just yes men. And that's what I'm trying to be. Um, so it seems like probably not. But w- I think we see enough of like we see Chris push back in his special kind of way later. And and we know that she can't do something to uh, she cannot compel them. We learn later of something they're not capable of. 
So uh, this pushback, she could be whammied and this pushback could just be part of that resistance of like she she's not capable of doing anything direct directly to hurt Victoria at this point because just the type of person she is now. And that's what's pushing back. So I don't know. The, the answer is I don't know. Um, she could be. She could not be. And I think there are reasons why on either side. Yeah, I think my inter- I think I'm leaning towards she hasn't done it. And it's because she wants her to be um, more more independent, yeah. more, more independent minded. Um, but also, I, I I don't think there's any proof that she is not. Uh, under, yeah. under compulsion well and it's i mean that's that's kind of a point we're going to talk about chris in a bit but that's kind of a point towards um him possibly being immune to this thing too secretly because like it doesn't seem to me if chris is truly like under her thrall um it doesn't seem to me that the people that she takes over are necessarily yes men like they're they're compelled to prioritize goddesses priorities but it doesn't seem like they're going to blindly do it without any kind of hesitation. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure we'll learn. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to read this lengthy interaction between the two uh, sisters here. Her expression was forlorn, lost. Fuck her. She asked, what am I supposed to do? If I let this happen, then you're never going to forgive me. I was never, ever going to forgive you in the first place, even before this meeting. I spat out the words, and the pent-up emotions found some release in those words, anger etching the sounds more and more. I was aware of my team and my peripheral vision, and my voice softened a bit. The warrior monk. What would Jessica want? I didn't have an answer, so I asked a question instead, with no anger in my voice. Only the disappointment equivalent to an entire childhood of friendship, loyalty, trust, and respect being dashed to the rocks, infusing quiet words as much... infusing quiet words as much as anger had infused the loud. How do you not get that? She didn't have a response to that. Her creature looked between her devastated expression and me, the projected image of me. I could ask you to, goddess told me. Forgive her. No, Amy said as I shook my head. It's brutal. Yeah, it's absolutely the, the, the I love that writing the question asked not with anger, but with the disappointment of an entire childhood of friendship, loyalty, trust and respect being dashed to the rocks. That is that is beautiful, um, heartbreaking. And like it's it's almost like anger. Anger is understandable. Anger is relatable. And anger is kind of um, righteous in some places. But this is like disappointment is what really cuts to me. And I think I think the same thing happens to Amy that like anger gets your defensive hackles up, but just like a disappointed sadness, like just destroys you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and I think we have to remember, like, this is the first time that Amy is really talking to her and seeing her in this state. Yeah. Like we don't like Amy doesn't know other than like whatever Carol has told her, presumably what's that like that the Victoria is in this headspace where she's like, I'm never going to forgive you. What you did is unforgivable. What you did is one of those things. One of the like borderline things where I would, I would say that a person shouldn't ever be forgiven for that. Um, and, and Victoria is kind of all about second chances. So that's saying something. And so th- this is all going to be a huge gut punch to Amy in this in this exact moment. Yeah, because she hasn't had time to process any of it. She's walked. She's kind of walking into this blind, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And 
she shouldn't be walking into it in the first place. This is this is when I start to get really mad at Amy. And I suppose she gets points for like not having goddess make Victoria forgive her because forced forgiveness would be almost as bad of a betrayal as the original thing she did to her. So that's like a pretty low fucking bar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this is I think this is where this guilt has led Amy to this point of if I let this happen, you're never going to forgive me. And like you don't you don't get to make that call like that's that's like it is it is not your place to do that. Like if someone if a person rapes a person, they don't get to follow them around on all their other interactions with other people in case they might get raped again and say, I have to do this. I have to I have to stop this from happening because I you might get hurt again like that. You don't get to do that. That's like you've you've like even if you had a right to do that you've lost that right mm-hmm. and and I, like i just think how this is framed amy has to stop because if she lets this happen you'll never forgive me she's turned this entire interaction to be about her you, if if i let this happen it's not that a, a terrible thing will happen to you that will will be awful and unforgivable it's that you won't forgive me and that's selfish as hell it's so selfish. Like the the pri- her primary concern seems to be here now. Like this could get to a place where you'll never forgive me, and that's the worst thing that could happen right now is you won't forgive me. Not that you've just been taken over and controlled by a woman who's probably going to make you do terrible things to help her. Um, not that. Just you won't forgive me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's definitely where her headspace is, especially since he hasn't seen Victoria in, in so long that she probably barely sees her as a human being anymore. Like it's kind of that. That's kind of what absence does, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if this is a productive response to what you just said or if it even makes sense as a response, but I'm, I'm thinking about like, I'm trying to get into Amy's headspace here as, as you're, as you're talking, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, okay, well, from Amy's point of view, like she thought she did the right thing. She thought that she did the right thing. She was like, I, I can't fix Victoria. I messed her up too bad, which I feel horrible about now the best thing for me is to go into the birdcage where I can't hurt anyone else. And then she gets released and a bunch of other shit happens that she feels bad about um, and, and responsible for. And she finally gets a chance to fix Victoria and, and is, and is kind of kicked out of her life. And so her attitude about all of this is, is like, w- like from her point of view, she's probably like, what did I, what exactly did, did I do that was wrong? Because, <laughs> And and like I'm just trying to again I'm trying to put myself in her shoes, and and, and be like 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 I understand from Victoria's point of view, right? I understand because we've been in Victoria's head this whole time. I have no problem seeing that, but I also like it, it's somewhat easy for me to imagine that that Amy would be like, um, I'm just I'm just trying to figure out how to how to make things right between us without comprehending like no you're you're missing the magnitude of what of, of like where Victoria is at in her head. Yeah. I I will cop to the fact that Amy clearly does not understand the level at which the bad thing she did screwed up Victoria. Um, absolutely. But yeah, I, I, she knows what she did, what wrongs think wrong thing she did. I think she has no illusions about the wrongness that she did. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I guess, yeah, to be, to be clear, she, she knows what she did, but she doesn't, appreciate like you just said the the degree to which victoria is messed up about it yeah yeah and then, and then i think it gets worse from here for me because as as like they're arguing 
there's this side conversation going on between um, goddess and Amy and, and Victoria picks up part of it. And we see asked what you wanted. You said you wanted to talk to her. You wanted a resolution before you left. This was part of the deal. And this is goddess to Amy. So we learn here that Amy has orchestrated her presence at this meeting. Um, uh, presumably the meeting was art was definitely going to happen. Goddess was going to reach out to them either, you know, to talk or just to control them automatically, which was probably the latter. But, but her presence here is part of the deal. She was planning on leaving this world. And before she was going to go forever she wanted to talk to victoria one last chance at resolution and she she's still then just chasing like that moment where she chases after her after the barbecue at the beginning of the story that chase is still going on um even though i think it's pretty clear to me that victoria does not want that um and again last week the therapist said you're not ready like the 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 story made it very clear that she's not ready for this she's not emotionally She's not in the right place for this confrontation yet. Um, And Amy doesn't get that. And I understand that, like, I'm not like I wrote here in my notes, Amy either doesn't care or charitably doesn't understand that. And I really think it's the latter. I don't think it's that she doesn't care. I just think it's that she doesn't know. But she, just like Carol did, is dictating the terms of this reunion. And she doesn't get to do that. That the, the victim of the thing is the one that gets to dictate when they get together, when they discuss the shit, when they talk over it. Amy doesn't get to to control that. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I I think you're I think you're right. Um, but but I will I guess I'll I find myself playing that devil's advocate here uh, for no good reason. Um, but basically, just the idea that there's actually a bit of a parallel between how Chris has been behaving and how Victoria is behaving because it's about communication, and it seems like Victoria hasn't communicated hardly anything at all with Amy and and you know from her point of view she's like horrifically traumatized and the idea of any kind of communication with her is extremely nerve-wracking so we, we we get we get why we get why she hasn't communicated we and, and by communicated I even mean communicated to say um like this is where I'm at like like don't don't try to make any overtures through mom or, or anything like, like be very, very specific like that. It reminds me of Chris because Chris is also like, he hasn't communicated about like, like he hasn't said like, look, here are, here are the rules when dealing with me. Here are the, the borders that that I don't want anyone to cross. And, and here's the reasons why, like, I think people might actually respect his boundaries because he obviously has boundaries if he laid them out and he doesn't even have to explain why they're there he just says to say like look it's it's important to me that you not cross certain boundaries and it will do fine if you if if, and and then everyone can have a discussion about the boundaries you know but i think there's been a lack of discussion both on you know on chris's part and on victoria's part where where a lack of clarity about those boundaries yeah i mean maybe i'm maybe i'm forgetting something about uh what what was actually explained in the story though i mean i think she's made her boundaries implicitly aware by the fact that she's not contacted her once she fleed she fled the party where she was at because she was at there but yeah i mean i i completely agree that there has been no like explicit discussion and i'm sure anything there was was filtered through carol who in in the interest of trying to get her daughters back together is probably not giving an a a totally accurate depiction of of victoria's headspace absolutely um but yeah, but again, I err on the side of like, I I think you're absolutely right that, that Victoria is not doing great here. 
and she's not communicating to the way that she should be. But I, I just wonder, like, how, like, doesn't she get to not deal with this perfectly? Like, if, if we're going to err on, on the side of someone here, should it not be on the side of the person who had the bad thing happen to her, not the person who did the bad thing? Sure, but but also... I don't know if I don't know if she gets to be completely shocked that Amy doesn't understand what her headspace is. Yeah. When she never communicated anything about her headspace. I think that's fair. I think I think that I think the disappointed, sad, betrayed. How do you not get that? Um, is is probably almost too far because no one can really get what you're going through, Victoria, unless they're in your head like we do. But but hey, we get to be in her head. Um, and, and she's mm-hmm. so unable to talk about it with anyone that, that no one, no one truly understands. Like even her team, she shared some of it with them, but very, very briefly and only in, in reflection to how, to Amy's responsibility in it, not, not to how it made her feel, not to the, the horror of living like that thing for two years and the after effects of, of it now. Um, yeah, she's never communicated that to anyone. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one very interesting thing the story's doing is we spend most of the story in, in the head of someone who's the victim of something. Yeah. Um, and it very much keys you into what it's like to be in the mindset of, of, of a victim, basically, where the last thing that you are capable of is empathizing with and seeing things from the perspective of the person who did that to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yet, because we're not actually Victoria... Um, I, I think I don't know if the story is asking us to do this, but I definitely find myself putting myself in Amy's position and saying like, well, like, let's just think through a day in the life of Amy and 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 what this looks like from her point of view. And, you know, certainly it's fascinating that we haven't had any point of view from Amy and we haven't seen much of her at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, we're, I think we're going to get that point of view eventually. Um, I think it's being held off intentionally for a while. Um, and I think it will be you know, for a little bit longer, but I, and, and like, look, I am upset at Amy here, me personally. And I think, um, I think I don't want that to be mean. Like, I don't understand why she's doing the things she's doing. I think I have a very clear idea of why she's doing these things. And I, I think the guilt that she must live with for what she did. I can't imagine how you go through that day to day. Like I, I mm-hmm. can't, I can't imagine it. Like I've, hurt people in my past, not like force them to fall in love with me and then turn them into a giant lemmy blob thing hurt. But still like you hurting people, unless you're like a soulless monster feels awful. And especially when that, that hurt is fresh, you'd do whatever you could to make them feel better, to make it okay between the two of you, perhaps, perhaps like helping that person or making them better or, or, or improving the relationship will make that guilt go away. It's, it's a completely understandable emotion. And, and again, I get one that Victoria does not get, but I, I don't think she has to get it yet. Like, I don't think she has to understand yet. Um, she has to get to a, her own place first and that's why you have this meeting once Victoria is in a good headspace, not not forced to have it right now when she's not in the space for it. And I think Amy came to this meeting with the best intentions, whether it was to say goodbye for one last chance at at fixing things to just I think she really has a mindset. If I can just talk to you, if I can just sit down and talk to you and we could talk this out like things will be OK between the two of us. 
But I yeah. think, but I think forcing that now made it worse, not better. And that's oh, why I'm frustrated. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely true. Um, just as an aside, I wonder how much guilt, like rel- in a relative sense, Amy has for what she did to Victoria versus what she did to Taylor and, and the whole, the whole fact that on, on some level, gold morning is kind of on her shoulders. Yeah. That, um, I mean, that's very true. Um, especially if Victoria is going to continue to hold what, ha- like this is the person that made the, the class S threat on gold morning, like that Victoria is very, very interested in, in pegging that on her. So, um, I wonder how many other people are or how much she is personally doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, and that, I mean, that's the other thing that I think Victoria doesn't understand. Victoria is completely ruled by this thing that Amy did to her. Amy has guilt from like 20 different places and not just guilt. <laughs> Amy has problems that she's going through before all this stuff happened. She's got problems with like, uh, you know, feeling her inferior when father. She, yeah. Her villain father, like, who she is, what she is, is she good? Is she bad? These feelings of being tired and not wanting to help people. Does that make her a bad person? All these things that were going on before any of this other stuff happened are still probably going on inside her. Victoria is ruled by this one thing and one thing only. And I think the fact that that is not the only thing that Amy cares about or, or deals with on a daily basis is probably, (laughs) probably tough for Victoria to, to swallow. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, this has been uh, the 25 minute Amy's <laughs> psychology corner. Yeah, we really we really dove into that. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it was worth it because, I mean, it's like pent up pressure. Yeah, it's, it's I like, think so. This has been in the background for the entire story. Sure. So. Yeah. So, yeah, we finally get to see uh, that we, we gradually start to see the reactions of the other team members uh, to the to the goddess compulsion. Capricorn takes the lead after Victoria vents at Amy for a bit and then quiets down. Tristan says all the right things, but he hesitates slightly each time he speaks, as if part of him is working against the compulsion, uh, but but weakly. Goddess tells them the teacher will be coming after her shortly, on the order of minutes. Goddess's plan seems to very much involve using Kenzie, the team's camera person, to broadcast her influence. And I like that she says camera person and not camera tinker, uh, because, I don't know, I can believe that her world wouldn't use the same words to describe powers. Yeah, that was very much a PRT bet thing. So that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Uh, camera person jumped out at me too, but that's probably because there's like an excellent documentary called camera person. That's really, really great. Everyone should see it. But um, yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't, I hadn't thought through the fact that the classifications are not just a overarching thing and, and very much a one world thing. Yeah, it might not mean anything actually, but I, I've, I thought it was, I mean, I, I, as far as I could tell, she doesn't use any of the classifications. Yeah. Uh, so Kenzie, uh, her reaction is that she's really happy to be included and she's just a totally excellent gung ho thrall. There's no, no hesitation at all there. Yeah. This is a very like all is lost moment. <laughs> like yeah. when you realize just how gung ho Kenzie, who can be so such bad news is for this. And like, they're going to, they're going to happily extend goddesses mind control to everyone in the, the Taylor maneuver project, thus fully realizing the irony of me naming it that before I knew that's a joke because Taylor, uh, she controlled everyone. Get it? Yep. Yeah. If only the best hero on Team Breakthrough would save them from this fate. And then Cryptid interjects. <gasps> um, and I find his behavior in this chapter to be the, my favorite part of this arc so far. Uh, he argues. He argues with her. He's not satisfied to just obey. He's going to tell Goddess that she's doing it wrong. He can do a better job serving her by being a pain in the ass than by just obeying. 
Um, or he's lying and manipulating her very cleverly because a lot of his advice kind of echoes the Master Stranger compartmentalization protocols. Yeah, it's really, it feels like very intentionally ambiguous here, and I and I love it for that. We've seen that in certain forms, Chris is able to resist the Mama Mathers fuckery, or at least just ignore it. Like, it's there, but he's able to just compartmentalize and ignore it. So it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that whatever Chris's deal is, he's either made himself or it just makes himself immune to this kind of thing, even in his Chris form. Um, but as you said, this could also just like completely be on it, like a, a completely on brand Chris way of responding to mind control. Like Tristan had a little bit of hesitation before he did it. Kenzie immediately complied. Re- Victoria kind of was reflective and considering and pondering before she fell on board. Perhaps this is just how Chris complies by telling you your plan is stupid and he has a better one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but regardless of that, it it effectively prevent, prevents the worst thing from happening. It it stops Goddess's immediate takeover and, and prolongs it at least for a little bit. So he's, he's my hero. Yeah, yeah, it, it's awesome. It gets some great lines here. Like, I just want to read this just because I, I loved it. Um, if you're not super paranoid, then you're not paying enough attention to how fucked up things can be. Yeah. Cryptid said, there are people still trapped in time-looped torture bubbles. The kid who did it, he was supposed to be dead. There is no degree of ass covering that's too much. This, you can't show your hand. Um, and I mean, yeah, like, he's he's clearly he's clearly thought through the ramifications of talking to goddess beforehand like you can see the echo of it in what he's saying here yeah he's like yeah yeah it's it's paranoid to a wonderful wonderful level yeah and then he adds that the authorities put the two prisons uh sorry they put the prison two earths away so that they could sever the link between the universes and cut off the prisons if they really needed to which is kind of his conjecture but it also makes so much sense that everyone accepts that it's probably true <laughs> um but it, like so like yeah it's good good argumentation and good timing with that there um but again the result of course is to reduce goddess's ability to move quickly yeah there there was a beat there where i was like well that won't be so bad if that happens she'll be stuck oh, i was like oh rain and ashley yeah that's bad <laughs> yeah also yeah. also all those other people yeah right oh my god crystal clear still in the crystal prison. clear oh no. my god yeah oh my god. yeah i'm sorry i take it all back <laughs> Uh, but overall, Chris is just too goddamn smart. Um, and I don't just mean like IQ, like he just understands how the world works and he's too clever. It just speaks to life experience. Oh, so we're back to the whole Chris is actually older than he looks line of thinking that I got mercilessly teased for, for casually ringing up one time. Is that what we're back to now? Yeah, it looks like it. Fine. Yeah. I mean, I agree that he does seem to have the kind of intelligent that the intelligence that seems to come from like living, like not just um, like natural intelligence or, or or the ability to learn quickly, but having experienced a lot of different things, Um, whether, whether that says anything about how old he actually is or not, I don't know. But yeah, he, he, he's, he's a street smart dude, street smart. Yeah. Street smart. There we go. Victoria notes that Swan Song seems to be fighting the compulsion, not really successfully, but not, but but also not succumbing. The word she uses, treading water, yeah. basically, I staying do, staying in place. I do love that 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 we get these little beats where we get to see how each member of Breakthrough deals with this thing and how it kind of how the, their battle with the mind control kind of perfectly um, 
matches the type of character that they are. Like, so of course, of course, in this moment, Swang Song would not be that easily won over by being someone's slave because she wants to be the master, not the slave. Like, that's her whole deal. So it's going to be harder to work on her. Yeah, well, like her whole mind is is like allergic to any kind of subservience. Yeah. So it's almost like like she's having to find ways to think around having to do that while still being a good a good servant. Yeah. So Amy tries to quietly convince Goddess that she's trying to help Goddess uh, by not being a yes man, but she's not adept at it. <laughs> Kinsey um, then turns up the volume so that they can eavesdrop, which is very Kinsey, uh, and Cryptid immediately tells Goddess that they're eavesdropping. So if he is just faking the mind control here, what's his motivation for narking? Well, someone pointed out that, um, like he was worried that they were going to discuss him and, and his secret, his secrets. Um, and then he, he, he didn't want the team to overhear that. So oh, he just, that's a good, blew. that's a good point. Yeah. And I, I don't I remember like why exactly based on the context, it was a possibility. Cause I think, I think they were going to discuss because he had just been talking, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, because b- yeah. basically Amy is trying to convince Goddess that they should listen to Chris's plan. And we know that they, the two of them have some sort of history. We learned that last chapter. So it, it stands to reason that perhaps part of her uh, case for why they should be listening to Chris here would have to do with some stuff that he's not ready for. Yeah, yeah. So that that is the thing that made the most sense to me. Yeah, I like that a lot. But but also, if he is just being a good a good slave, then it's just like master wouldn't like it if you were listening in on her. <laughs> yeah, that's very you know? true. So yeah. so so it works either way, and I like that too. Um, and then uh, goddess asks Amy, "Is he trustworthy?" No, Cryptid said, "No, I'm not." Um, and again, this is great because like. Like, you can't take this to mean that he's absolutely compromised <laughs> to the extent that he has to answer the question truthfully. And the truth is that he's working against her. Um, uh, but she agrees with him yeah. and, and and decides to take him uh, with her to compartmentalize the people. I actually like this a lot better under what we were just talking about. This idea that he's afraid that someone will reveal information. So... Um he's the one that answers this question. Goddess is talking to Amy. Is he trustworthy? Um, There is a very real chance that part of Amy's argument for yes, he is would be revealing something that he's not comfortable with. So, so instead of letting her answer, he immediately interjects with his own answer, which is nope. Um, Which is also like, it, it absolutely could be mind control, but it is a very Chris thing to say. Like, I feel like if you grab Chris on your average day and say, Hey, are you trustworthy? Do you think he's going to say yes? No, I kind of doubt no, it. No, absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, and, and he's, he's right too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, I, and then, so this moment, Victoria thinks, and this is important. We're going to come back to this again. Victoria thinks, I suspected that if we'd been there in person, I would have hit her hard enough to kill her. As part of that thought, I well and truly believed that had I hit her hard enough to kill her, I would have felt better. Yeah, this is the beginning of a few very troubling admissions on Victoria's part to the level of violence she would be willing to commit, um, especially when targeted at Amy. Well, we'll circle back around to this for sure, but it, it's worth pulling up. Yeah. Yeah. So Chris gets a lot of uh, badass, but it's hard to explain exactly why lines. <laughs> and one of them is when Sveta says, so he's about to leave. Sveta says, you'll be OK. I have a form prepared. The door slammed behind him. That's my boy. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like that you can double read this too. Like maybe he has, that's, that's, he had a form prepared and that's why he's resisting this stuff because he figured this would be a potential, like for someone as paranoid as he is to not be prepared for the possibility of mind whamminess, um, would be out outside of the, the realm of believability for him. But I agree. Who knows? Yeah. Everyone else, though. <laughs> that could have gone worse, Rain said. Yeah, Capricorn said. Like Victoria said, the effect from her isn't that bad. Tolerable, I said again. <laughs> um, yeah, so which is just so uh, horrifying. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, we're, it's basically confirming to us that even though Goddess isn't here, everyone is completely wholeheartedly working for her. Yeah, I, I like let's the baseline establishment. Um, this is horrible, right? Goddess is yeah. Goddess's brand of mind control is sneaky and evil. Um, but on top of being horrible, these beats played hilarious to me because like the the level of unawareness the team has to the mind control is almost like. It's almost like a farce. It's that funny. This whole thing is like, eh, that wasn't that wasn't too bad. And, and yeah. you, the reader, is just like, no, but it really was, though. And like yeah. like the words like t- the word tolerable, like it's like they're aware of the mental compulsion. They know the effect is there. But obviously we, we beat it because like yeah. I'm, I'm not controlled. Well- well, I think like it, to me, it almost seems like part of the effect is to just make it seem like it's just not a big deal no right, matter what. Right. Yeah. So because because I mean, I, I think if you asked any of them like, hey, you you know, you're under goddesses power now, <laughs> then they, they'd probably be like, uh, yeah, but, you know, I mean, why shouldn't I do what she says, though? Yeah. You know, like like it would be a, it would be an evasion. It wouldn't be a like they're not. I almost hesitate to say they're brainwashed because there's like a connotation that they're like impaired. I feel like they're just like, no, no, but it's everything's fine. It's just that goddess is right. Yeah. Well, like it's I mean, it's it's kind of a symptom of how the thing works. Right. Because if your priorities have been shifted to where what goddess wants is is number one on your priorities and then are told, but goddess is controlling you. You're like, well, that's fine because I want what she wants anyway. Right. Yeah. Well, that's convenient. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Um. Yeah, I agree with you about it being funny, though. Um, I So I really, so at this point, I really have to wonder if Tristan swapping back with Byron is a clever attempt to break the compulsion or just an oversight. Um, but in either case, it's a fucking awesome story <laughs> moment. Yeah. Um, I mean, we did see him push back a bit before he complied, right? Like there was hesitation on him. Um, but I it feels more like a happy accident to me. Like the, the, the casual nature with, with he does it. He's like, he's like, ha- like doing stuff while he's talking. It's like, yeah, I just got to get my armor and then oh, I'll just switch to you. And then I know, I know it's your turn, but just switch back to me and we'll got it. And he just does it. Um, it, it feels like it's just not even considered. And, and I think I like it because this power of goddesses is very powerful. Um, but it obviously has its limitations, right? Like I think the best, the best powers, especially in these stories have some weaknesses with them. And, and this is, this is a part of that weakness that goddess can't cover the fact that, Oh, he's a a special case where the other half of him is presumably in a pocket dimension somewhere and it cannot be affected. It's just, it just, it, it shines light on the weaknesses of this of, and doesn't make a goddess's mind control all powerful. Yeah. Yeah, and I liked it that the fact that uh, tr- that Capricorn's power 
works against mind control powers this way was set up several arcs ago when they were oh yeah with mama mathers yeah with mama mathers exactly um so byron comes out everyone immediately realizes that he's not on their side (laughs) uh he tries to tell them that they're compromised uh and they they don't really argue they're just they, they don't budge um and then he starts to use his water moats and is clearly ready to make a stand and take out Kenzie's equipment. But uh, Victoria stares him down. Sveta flanks him. They're gonna try. They're gonna get him. And God, the scene is awesome. It it really is. I love I love how it's constructed. We, we I mean, like it's it's on the surface a very normal scene of tension, right? Like we ramp up tension just like Wild Bow normally does um, when we're on the brink of violence. But it's all kind of. It's inverted because in Victoria's head, Byron is the threat and everything in the scene is constructed around how Byron is escalating the conflict. But we stand in the privileged position of knowing that Byron is 100 percent right here. So when Sveta like subtly gets behind Byron to Victoria, that's almost a moment of tension release because to her, Sveta is now in position. We're going to take care of that if he tries anything they're ready to make their move. But but to us, it serves as escalation. Um, and it's kind of just inverted how everything normally works because we're we're in the person's head who's about to do the wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah. You're just, you're like in, instead of instead of being with her, you're like, oh, no. Yeah. 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 And on top of that, I can't I, I also can't help but feel this plays a little bit funny. <laughs> like like the, the whole situation when like. Tristan just like so casually just switches over and he's like, all right, I'm just uh, going to get my armor and then just switch right back. And then Byron's just like, oh, my God. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he's just thrown in the situation. Yeah. He's surrounded by people and and they're all mind controlled. And he's like way out of his depth here. He like he's he's the guy that's like casual and cool with everything and, and isn't really wanting to be involved in this thing. And then suddenly he's thrown into this. And to his credit, Matt. He gets like a hero moment speech here. Yeah. Where he says, I'm going to read this whole thing because my boy doesn't get doesn't get his day very much. So he deserves his full day here. That woman in blue is not equipped to lead. As far as I can tell, that's a woman who was younger than I am now when she took over her planet and nobody was strong enough to stop her. She didn't know how to lead. She just things work out because she keeps everyone united in fear if they're unpowered or united under her banner if they're powered. She's spoiled and unhinged. I can't see a good outcome from that. If I don't take a stand here, there's going to be more ruin and devastation. This whole thing needs to stop now if we're going to keep this from ruining breakthrough, hurting the other heroes, letting teacher or goddess win, or letting both win while everyone else loses. So this is the laid back, doesn't want to get involved in breakthrough, thinks it's all a bad idea. This guy is standing up for what he thinks is right in this moment. He's finally reached the point where... He has to stand up. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's 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 very believable, too, because yeah. like we've we've seen Byron get pushed around a little bit in this story. Um, I mean, quite a bit, actually, because kind of everything that's happening is against his will. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, like he's 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 standing up for what he does want here. And um, and yeah, it makes you love him. Here's the problem, Matt. Uh huh. The the Tryron relationship, it's not good. No. Because now we're in a situation where if Byron switches back to Tristan right now, do we think Tristan's, the mind control Tristan's just going to switch right back to his brother who's actively working against him after their assigned two hours is up? Is that going to happen? 
Probably not. No. No. And, and, and Byron probably knows that, too. So do we think he, after taking his big stand, is going to switch back when his time is up? I, I, I doubt it. So no. so now here's the problem, right? Now we're in this kind of standoff moment where um, if he relinquishes control, the other guy's not going to relinquish control. So he's not going to relinquish control. And that's that's going to spiral. And right. even if we get out of the current situation that we're in, uh-oh. Yeah, right. Basically, as long as they're under this effect, um, they, they're both highly, highly, highly incentivized to keep the other person suppressed. Yeah. And and and, and you're right that like that's just going to build up resentment. Um, right. Like like let's say, <clears throat> OK, they they find a way to undo the stuff. Right. Um, and it but it takes three days, it takes a week, whatever mm-hmm. um, that Byron's been out constantly. Um, or Tristan or whoever or whoever Oh, out. You mean? Yeah. 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 Um, First of all, he gets a little taste for living 24 days instead of 12. Um, Mm. And then there's going to be a lot of resentment from the other person. Like even if he's cured of the mind control, like even if, yes, he realizes, yes, I was compromised. Yes, I had this thing happen to me. um, And and now you've cured me of it. Um, But you made me hang out in there in that hole or whatever it is for for a week. And he's going to be resentful. He's going to be like, well, I want five days worth of time now because you got it. So that's only fair. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, like, even if even if everything works out, sunshine and and roses, I still think this is the this this is the instigating point for the conflict between the two of them that we've been waiting for the last few arcs. And I did not expect it to come this way. I think I think the fact that it comes from a, a perfectly logical place where, of course, Byron can't switch back. Tristan is mind controlled. Like it's for the it's the best for everyone. And this is going to be what starts the big thing. It's brilliant. It's I, mm-hmm. I love it so much. I did not see it coming. And it's it's such a great idea. Yeah, right. Because it, it, it makes perfect sense that it would be something where they legitimately have a difference of opinion that is, that is serious. Yeah. Um, but, and, and, you know, in this particular case that comes from mind control, it didn't even have to come from mind control. It could have been, um, anything where it actually put them at, at such severe odds that they were like, well, you're, you're kind of my enemy now, Yeah. which is what's happened. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So Byron rushes Victoria and she kicks his ass, uh, because she's armored and she's fit and she can fly which she uses to enhance her hand-to-hand abilities. And eventually she gets him in a headlock and uses her flight to just bear down on him. Um, except headlocks don't work so well on somebody with uh, special water breathing powers, I guess. Yeah, well, that was a great that was a great touch. It's like, you should be passed out by now. It's like, yeah. no, no, sorry. Yeah. But the yeah. whole time you're just like, stop, no. Like, there's no bit of this action that you enjoy. You're just yeah. like, it's like, it's like, Captain America Civil War, but <laughs> like not fun. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause yeah. Um, so finally though, Byron says something that breaks through. He, he says master stranger protocols and it evokes thoughts of Dean thoughts of ordered by the book thinking all things that Victoria finds solace in. And this is enough. And she backs off from Byron, um, which Sveta immediately grabs her thinking that maybe she's been compromised. <laughs> um, but, but then the two of them, Victoria and Byron are able to talk down the rest of the team and say like, no, no, we're, we're going to be good. We're, we're all good. We're all going to, we're all serving goddess. Byron's going to be good. Yeah. Victoria says she'll go with Byron and keep an eye on him. It's such a, it's such a great, 
crazy ending to such a dramatic chapter. Victoria is, and, and as we'll learn in a little bit, is not freed, but but not currently trying to choke Byron to death. So, you know, progress. Yes. And we move right on into 9.4 with Victoria following Byron outside into the cold rain. The cold rain that doesn't affect him, Matt. Uh, I love I love how this described the freezing rain had already coated the fire escape. The strength of the wind this close to the breached Norwalk portal make the icicle slanted more sideways than down. I'm not going to go into another long essay about fire and ice slash water here, but I do think the fact that everything is now coated in ice is very significant. The bad times are not coming anymore. They are here. And I love I love the, the slanted icicles like it kind of makes it seem like they're pointed at our characters. They're not just pointed downwards. They're like daggers pointing at our characters. Like th- this is establishing how like how what such a what a bad, bad, bad situation they're in right now. Yeah, it makes it seem a bit otherworldly yeah. to have slanted icicles. Yeah. And and importantly, Byron is immune to all this. All this there's all this badness around. There's the, the cold, the ice, everything bad is happening. But but Byron is immune and it's like it's like all of our characters are in a really bad place, but Byron is resisting it all, which is like tying to yeah. exactly what's actually happening to him. Yeah, maybe not just immune, but but like primed for it. Right. He's the ones who's who's like, oh, ice, throw down these crampons. Yeah. I'm ready for this. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Victoria then admits to him that a lot of her ability to go along with him comes from the fact that he's not actually working against <laughs> goddess's interests here. So basically, she's like, I'm letting you take points so you can steer me, steer me away from bad choices. But it's pretty, pretty apparent this is only going to work until there's actually a choice that would go directly against goddess. Like, that's my take anyway. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. And, and so we, we then take our tension from the last chapter, that inverted feeling of tension and carry it right over here. Victoria has not beaten the compulsion. Her training just allows her to fight against it more than others. But but instead of constantly being worried for our point of view character, our protagonist in this moment, we're, we're worried about her. What's she going to do? How bad will this be? Is she going to hurt Byron? Is like something going to happen and she's going to snap and snap him? Um, mm-hmm. So like it's just it's such an inversion of of the, the normal worry you have for your protagonist. Yeah, definitely. So now she sticks her head back inside their HQ and she tells Kenzie not to do anything until they've touched base. Um, <laughs> even this, though, she has to very carefully couch in terms of actions that are helping rather than hindering Goddess's plans. And I just this I, I love like I can imagine this scene, how this would be like filmed, because you've got like all all the team members who are these characters you love. Like I'm imagining like sitting or standing ominously, like <laughs> watching her. Yeah. Watching for flickers of weakness in her in her face. Right. Ready to pounce. Yeah. Yeah. And this is like, I think this is really, really great because Kenzie has a history of like not listening when she thinks she can help. So like mm-hmm. ha- Victoria having to very carefully frame this in a way that you will be going against what goddess wants is very clever. And and then Sveta kind of acknowledging this says, I'll watch her too. And I think that's like specifically to assuage Victoria and our worries that Kenzie's just going to go do whatever she wants. Um, but I, I still think it's rather stressful that she we've we've left these people outside of our our view these this these clearly compromised people and now we don't get to see what they're doing and what's happening to them and i i felt a little bit of nervousness of just just that fact just that the the camera of the story was moving away from these characters that we have no idea what they're going to do 
Oh yeah, no, I I agree that like you cannot trust that Kenzie's not going to immediately start spreading this thing right. as soon as she leaves. Right. Yeah. So the rest of the team challenges her to make sure she's still on board and that she'd be willing to kill Byron if she has to, uh, which kind of implies that all of them are super cool with that outcome. Um, and then she, th- this kind of puts her in a headspace where she also considers, again, the idea that she might feel better if she killed Amy. Yeah, the, the, this is the most disturbing point of the entire chapter to me. The The whole brain compulsion thing stopped being funny. <laughs> it stopped playing yeah. jokey to me here. It just... It's just and it's just how casually the topic is broached by Ashley. Right. It's just like you said you'd be willing to kill. Would you be willing to kill Byron? And like nobody says anything to that. No one stops that form of questioning. It's like, no, that's ridiculous. You would we would never do that. It's just they all like slowly, silently turn and look at her expectantly. And it's just this like everyone in the room is like, well, and they're hanging on her answer and the creepiness of that and like you said, Victoria lies and she admits she lies when she tells the group that, yes, she would be willing to kill Byron. She she is not that is not what she is capable of. But she does go back to those thoughts of killing Amy. And the way this is described here, I could imagine myself being less miserable in the aftermath somehow. Wrestling with shame and self-loathing loathing in the aftermath of something like that was better than wrestling with the ob- with oblique shame, self-loathing and the daily fear of either running into her or a repeated incident of her using her power on me. So she weighs the negative effects of killing Amy with the positive effects and basically says that that killing Amy is the positive result here. Like that this this would be better. Now, now hold on, Scott. Are you are you insinuating that her having this interaction with Amy when she definitely wasn't ready for it? Um has maybe pushed her into a frame of mind where she's thinking like, I would feel better if I just killed her. No, I wouldn't. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I know Victoria's mind whammied right now. So you could make an argument that her, her reasoning process here is a little bit compromised, but damn, I don't know if that's how the mind control necessarily works, but I do know if, if in this moment right now, if Amy did something to cross goddess, and Goddess said, Victoria, I want you to kill her. I think she'd do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I think I think what this has done is it's pushed her into a place right. where that's I don't want to say on the table, but it's it's now it's now part of her rumination of like, you know, what would just solve this problem yeah. that I have. Well, and even if she's not actually going to do it, it's it's not good to have that kind of thing in your head. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it, it sh- I think it is on the table because I think the whole the whole framing device of the mind control is I can only make you do something you would be capable of. Mm-hmm. And what Victoria has just said in this moment, that killing Amy is now officially on the list of things that she feels capable of. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. a big deal. Yeah, no, you're right. Um but we, we have to point out also that Victoria like lied and said that Byron was not within hearing distance for this whole conversation when he definitely was. So he just got to hear everyone be like, you totally be willing to kill him. Right. And her saying yes. And yeah, she says he needed to hear that. And he like like she says it had, it had been important that he hear. But she doesn't ever like tell him, you know, I just told him that 
like to make sure that they would let me go with you, right? Like, I don't actually mean that. She doesn't have that conversation with him. So it's just like she just like turns around and looks at him and he says, shit, that's scary. And then they just leave. (laughs) So in his mind, oh, my God, all these people might kill me. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah, he's not he's not in the best situation to be leading the situation, you know, now. Yeah, Yeah. it's kind of crazy because like he's like he has been this this background character kind of. I mean, he shows up occasionally and we've talked to them before, but this is this chapter is the most Byron time we've gotten in the entire book. So we're kind of learning more about him while he's being thrown into this pressure situation. And, you know, he doesn't do too bad. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, yeah, let's keep going and see how he does do. So they travel through the inclement weather, Byron driving and Victoria flying nearby to provide help if he gets into trouble with the ice. Meanwhile, she thinks about the details of Master Stranger protocols, how the chain of command is supposed to respond to them. And um, basically, she just is is kind of retreating into the black and white clarity of this kind of thinking. I, I love this. It's just so... Victoria <laughs> breaking yeah. things down into reason order, you know, the anti-chaos, black and white, the clarity of ordered lists. I was thinking about this as I, I reread it and Natalie popped into my head, Matt, like this idea of like, I think just like lists of of I think it was the idea of like lists of um why can't I think of the word? The chain of command. There you go. Yeah. Uh, the chain of command reminded me of Natalie's checklists of what you're supposed to do in this case, what you're supposed to do in this case. And and it, it made me really once again remind myself of how similar Victoria and Natalie on like a, a base level are like some of their base personality traits and how probably a lot of their differences stem from the fact that, hey, one of them has powers and one of them don't. But they're they're very similar characters, I think. Yeah, I like that idea um, that the, it, Natalie even fantasizes about it. And Victoria was someone who who used to fantasize about it. Yeah. Um, but she got it because her life circumstances were different. Yeah. Yeah. So they reach the major malfunctions in a copse of trees near the house that they are surveilling. The young capes are worried that they've messed something up. But uh, Byron and Victoria assure them that they have not. They say that they switched targets because they noted something off about the behavior of their target number two, and they've observed lots of folks regularly checking in on this target. Yeah, I kind of gave these guys a hard time when this assignment was given to them, and I think it's on some level something the book wants us to do. Wildbo kind of really emphasizes just how unexperienced these people are and, and how unknown they are. I mean, their name is Major Malfunctions, for Christ's sake, but... <laughs> But they I mean, they did they did good here. Right. I mean, they they made they made a call to switch to a target and it turned out to be right. Obviously, um, they made judgment calls that aren't part of the mission. And I think what this ultimately does for us is is give us a little more clue about Finale's whole state of mind, because she is convinced here that they did wrong, that they messed up, that they screwed it up. Um, and she's not right. She they they did great. They did exactly what they needed to do. So. I mean, not to jump ahead too much, but I'm pretty sure when she when they first met her and she described her power as bad and the rest of the team said, no, no, it's actually really awesome. It, it makes me want to believe the others a lot more if 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 she sees this as a f- fundamental screw up. I think her perspective on herself is pretty skewed. Yeah. Yeah. She seems to have low, low confidence. Yes. It is. We don't really get what her power is yet, though. Um, <laughs> we kind of see it in action, but I don't fun. think that. Yeah. 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 So briefly, uh, withdrawal refers to having seen Capricorn on TV. 
uh, mistaken. Mis- well, technically he's right. He did see Capricorn on TV, but uh, he, he's obviously mistaking Byron for Tristan. Um, and what's interesting to me is some folks in various discussions were saying how this must like be really bad for Byron to, to kind of be continually mistaken for his brother. And I'm not arguing with that. I'm just I'm just not sure how much it annoys Byron because like at some point he must have agreed to like be the same cape name sure. and and like change it. So I'm never quite sure because like yeah, I, I could totally buy that it does annoy him. But also, why would you put yourself in this situation? You know, if if that annoyed you so much, like why wouldn't you have a completely different um, like theme yeah. and name? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I wonder how much of it was agreeing or how much of it was Tristan saying, "Oh, we should do this," and he's just like, "Yeah, whatever." Yeah, that occurred to me too, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I, I, you're right that Byron does not have any kind of visible reaction to this. Um, so we can't like he, do, he we don't get a, a flash of annoyance or anything. But yeah, yeah I, I wonder if on some level it does get tiring to always be like getting getting credit for things you didn't do. On the other side is being blamed for things you didn't do. If Capricorn does something and it's Tristan. Byron is Capricorn. So mm-hmm. like we know that there was a, a murder committed, supposedly. Um, it doesn't matter who did it. They're both to blame. Yeah. And that's got to be frustrating. So, that's one of the things I don't know if we've ever talked about, but like, I mean, we did talk about it, but like, how do you put Capricorn in prison if Byron was innocent? You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. He, you, you basically decide that you're going to lock up an innocent man. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So Byron makes the call based on the information that they're given that they need to contact a major team for help. They need the big guns. So Byron tries to make the call, but his phone won't work. Uh, then at the same time, they see that the mysterious folks who've been checking in on their surveillance target are using their phones, which efficiently lets us know the score, lets us know that those are the bad guys. They're jamming the phones. And this quickly turns into a fight with all these dozens of teacher thralls uh, beginning to shoot at our heroes. Yeah, I think this relates to our talk for the discussion question last week about how he sets up the the big bads, the bad guys, because in this moment, um, how bad is this threat? How bad are these people they're about to fight? Well, Byron thinks they need to call Chevalier, Dragon, Defiant, and Narwhal. So that's how bad. So mm-hmm. without even having to communicate like anything about the specifics of the people about they're about to fight, we have clearly established the level of threat. So we mm-hmm. automatically know how bad this is. They need the big help. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's such a great way of establishing our our, our stakes right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the expectations. And, and then, of course, taking that away. Yeah. You know, saying, oh, they can't come. So it's yeah. just it's just us. Yeah, we need these we need these four big guys to do this. But by the way, they can't hear us and we're being attacked right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's such a yeah. it's yeah. Like y- you have a clear understanding of how bad the situation is right away just by name dropping uh, people you're familiar with. Right. And that's I think that's the benefit of good characterization in a book. It's it, not only does it make the book more interesting, but it's a tool you can use to shortcut in other places to be more economic with your storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's this moment where she, he orders Victoria um, to do something and she thinks he was the one in charge with the protocols. I took off. Be safe. Mal- mal- malfunctions. Be safe. Byron. Um, so that's a real rare for Victoria to slip up with the real names like that, isn't it? Yeah, that's a good catch. I mean, this is one of those moments where I, I wonder if this was a writing oopsie or a Victoria oopsie. And mm-hmm. then I realized 
it doesn't actually matter because now it's in the world. And, and <laughs> yeah. even if it was a writing oopsie, like you can still play off of it. And I mean, she's not in her right mind right now, so it's a perfectly reasonable mistake to make. But um, I wonder if we'll see the consequences of this. Yeah, I mean, she's she's stressed. And on some level, she's not talking to Capricorn because she's talking to byron specifically right you know right because because know. in her in her head capricorn is tristan so yeah. this is another guy in capricorn's suit kind of i mean he's wearing <laughs> different of. armor but y- you know what i mean like this is yeah it's it's different and so i think that's a very understandable yeah. slip up to or, make or perhaps like to her victoria to her capricorn is byron and tristan unified and right now they're not unified oh i like thus, that yeah yeah uh, yeah, so Victoria now dives into the fight using the wretch strategically when she needs cover or needs to smash something. Um, she also uses what she's now calling her fear aura <laughs> all out. Uh, she finds <laughs> so much that so that she suspects people in nearby houses are being affected by it. Uh, she, she finds what turns out to be one of teacher's teleporters and destroys it. But clearly there are more enemy resources pouring in. And basically we're just getting the full... Uh, array of of what it is to be fighting uh teachers resources yeah. which we've briefly seen before but it's good to be reminded of how how overpowering it can be yeah again this is not a funny scene but can you just imagine like sitting on your couch reading a book and all of a sudden you just feel terrified and you don't know where it came from <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, I love that you pulled out that she's she's relabeled it the, the the fear aura. And the most charitable interpretation of this would just be that she knows that fighting these people, the effect of the aura will be fear, which is absolutely mm-hmm. true. But still, she's never referred to it that way before. She's always just referred to it as an aura. She's never pointed out what its effect would be in labeling it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I we know that when she w- heard that the people she cared about were only hearing fear um, or were only feeling fear. She was kind of bummed about that, but, but now she's seemingly fully embracing it. Um, And that could just be another window into her state of mind right now, where she's kind of like, she's so discombobulated that she's kind of tossing aside pretenses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and because she's tossing aside other stuff, because one of the things that I, I love most about how this action scene is written is that in the midst of all this fighting, Every few paragraphs, we have Victoria mention Goddess in some way. Um, Goddess said this is how they were going to go after her. Now I understand why Goddess got to the point where she was annoyed with these people. I very much did not want to kill the anyone Goddess didn't want dead. Um, she says all these things in the middle of all this action. It's, a, it's, as, it's as if the book wants to constantly remind us that Victoria is like not um, while she's not like murdering her teammates and going full bad guy, mind controlled person, she's very much doing this, all of this in service to her current master. Um, yeah. and, and I think you kind of see that in how she fights too, because she's being a little more aggressive than she would. She's, she's keeping out the wretch a little longer than she probably would. There's a moment where she keeps it out and it drags along the floor and, and grabs weapons, weapons to quote, stab and twist, bend and snap. And now we have to realize, say that she realizes in this moment that um, that she's being too offensive, that doing this is probably too much and she needs to rein it in. But she only does that because of goddess like to go back to the quote, I very much did not want to kill anyone. Goddess didn't want dead. It's it's not I don't want to kill anyone. It's I will only 
get that far if it's someone goddess wants and Mm -hmm. i i love how like it's still victoria i think that's the, the, the i think writing a scene like this with this kind of mind control is one of those things that is way more difficult than it looks because i think you want to both um make it clear and and true to who your character is while still showing that they're behaving differently like i think it'd be very easy to just have her behave like a completely different person but that's not what this mind control does so that's not what the the book does exactly yeah yeah because what we're not getting is evil victoria right that because that that's that's all like that that's why this is so fun and, and original and unique to me because um like the moment chapter 9.2 ended you kind of wonder if the next chapter is going to be evil victoria you know it's going to be she's going to start wearing a black black outfit uh, you know she's gonna put his, her put her hair in front of her face hair in front of her face like, her power her, yeah play the piano at a jazz club yeah yeah all exactly exactly what i was thinking um but <laughs> but but no it's 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 much more subtle and much more like creepy because you can't like the whole like you turn evil thing is not psychologically relatable but just like suddenly having all of your priorities swapped out you can kind of put yourself in that position yeah yeah it's great i love it i love it so much so we also get to briefly see the major malfunctions powers in action yeah which are really cool i think most importantly is kind of getting a window into finale right um who Mm -hmm. appears to make laser blast noises as she fires her blaster power at people like pew Uh pew pew this is great. Yeah. Um, Victoria describes this as less effective than the Tinker One rifles that are being fired back at her and kind of insinuates that the speaking out loud part is unnecessary and like similar to a person learning to read silently, but they're still mouthing the word, the, the words as they do so. Um, hey, Matt, how much you want to bet Victoria's wrong here? <laughs> yeah, I, I think like we haven't seen the full um, realization of what this power does. I'm, like it, it's the the blasts we don't see what the blasts are doing you yeah know, so I, yeah. i'm i'm very much convinced that the noises she's making are pretty intrinsically tied to what the power is um i mean she's the one she has like a a music note on or something isn't there some musical motif in her uniform i think and I of think course her name so. is finale like that's not yeah yeah um yeah i can't wait to see what the what the twist is here it's gonna be great yep so eventually, Victoria smashes her way into the target's house and finds target number two, the woman, uh, inside with what looks like a bunch of drugs and some teacher thralls. Victoria goes after her, but the woman turns out to have some pretty scary firepower, uh, f- literal firepowers, uh, that burn through Karyatid's invulnerability, actually, uh, in a terribly sad manner. Um, the chapter ends with the clear implication that this fight is only going to get worse yeah this is a hell of a cliffhanger matt um not only do we have the major malfunctions aka the greatest group in all of parahuman's history in a, a bad spot but um i think it's one of those i said this when i was tweeting but it, it feels like one of those i don't know how they're gonna get out of this moments right like they're they're cut off um cell signals are not working and it's just how how are they going to get out of this one? Um, yeah. a, a very classical kind of cliffhanger ending that uh, I think works here. Yeah. You know, before we before we completely wrap up, I did want to mention, like, I really liked that. it. You know, it seems like it would have been really easy to have 
um, Byron dropping out, you know, uh, Tristan swapping out with Byron, everyone looking at him and realizing he wasn't a thrall and then have that be a cliffhanger end of a chapter. And I'm, I, I like, I think I've, I'm just really happy that it wasn't because the, the flow of like seeing what their mind control was actually like was so much better augmented by seeing kind of them going from the moment of it happening all the way through to the end of, of that chapter with Byron. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think that's something I think this book does a little bit better than the last one. Um, it doesn't chase the cliffhangers as much because there's mm-hmm. been there's been multiple times when I've been reading chapters in this one where I thought, oh, this would be a sick cliffhanger ending. And it, it doesn't end there. Um, mm-hmm. Not to I'm not taking that like I'm not attacking this ending because it is a I think this is a very effective cliffhanger. Um, it feels like a natural pause point in the story while also don't you want to tune in next week kind of thing. Um, yeah. But I have noticed that um, the chapters end on on what what feel like very like timely emotional end beats. Um, yeah. And, and aren't following the the got to get them coming back next time feeling as much. Yeah. Well, th- this this seems like a logical point to end a scene at because right. it's like, all right, we've we've resolved essentially um, we haven't resolved it in a positive manner, but we've resolved the, the like what's going on. Oh, well, now Victoria's in the house. They found the person. She's a parahuman. It's going to get worse from here. Yeah. But with the Byron thing, it was like, well, that was kind of the middle of a scene, and I'm glad we didn't stop it where it was. Yeah. Hey, before we go, can we just say I really like this book? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. like I, I was thinking about this today, and I, I couldn't find a way to work it in naturally, so I'm just going to do it awkwardly. Sounds um, good. I mean, obviously, I've been enjoying it from the beginning, um, but for the first six or so arcs, I was enjoying it on a very intellectual level, um, which is not to say it's not good. Like, I think I think it's really good, but it, it, it's been emotionally landing with me a lot recently. Like, I think from Kenzie's interlude from the Kenzie dinner on each of the chapters is is emotionally affecting me. A lot. And I'm not just talking about like sadness. I'm like, I'm the, the gamut of emotions, yeah. excitement, worry, so, like all these things are like, I really feel like as good as the book has been in general so far, it feels like it's, it's hit its stride to me. This last arc and a half, I guess it would be. Uh, yeah. I think there, I think maybe like once all of the characters got firmly established, um, it, it started being able to hit on a bunch of different levels at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Again, not to say anything before that wasn't good. Obviously I loved it. I, I hope I loved it if I spent hours and hours <laughs> a week on it, but I just, yeah, I've been really, I've been really, really, really enjoying the, yeah. the, the last few weeks of chapters. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've been, uh, absolutely delighted. Um, all right. Uh, discussion question this week. Compare and contrast the different forms of mind control slash mental compulsion present in the parahumans universe. Is there one that is clearly worse than another? Uh, what do you think these differing forms have to say about the themes of the story? You can tell this is a question I wrote because it has too many questions in it. Well, I, I, I really like this question and it got me thinking a lot. So. Yeah. So yeah. let us know what you think about this, guys. Uh, you know, if, if you have trouble, like I asked like three different or I, I I, there, I had three different commands in that question. So if you don't want to do all three of them, obviously you don't have to. We're not going to like take points away. This isn't for a grade. No, um, but it is important that you serve Scott's will. Yes, exactly. Yeah. All right. 
Uh, and that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85, and Matt has commanded me to list his real Twitter, which is at <laughs> mordenamail. That's right, and if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world uh, within range of our power that you can listen to podcasts. <laughs> As always, you can find this and all the other podcasts we do over at doofmedia.com. Like we said at the top of the show, we have finally released episode four of Weaver Dice Vegas. The Brain Bros initiate their heist plan and things go well about exactly what you would expect. Um, also this week we have a new episode of Vow to View coming out on Thursday where Elise and I talk about some of our favorite childhood television shows, some of which we're having trouble tracking down and actually watching because Elise likes really obscure TV. Um, and then on Friday there'll be a brand new doof doofcast where one of our patrons made me watch anime again, Matt. This Yay. time it's a, <laughs> it's a movie called Your Name. All right. Uh, and if you like any of our shows and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash doofmedia. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in our quarterly fan art contests, Q&A sessions, access to live streams of our recording sessions, and our excellent Discord chat. And also our uh, not just our, our fan art contests, but our, our, our Halloween. Halloween costume. That's right. What do they call that? Cosplay. Yeah, that's Cosplay. the word. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and as always, make sure you go over to Wildbo's Patreon, patreon.com slash Wildbo, and donate to him as well. And his, this is his world. We're just playing it. And if you cannot afford to donate right now, I command you to. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can, you can instead help us out by heading over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a rating and a review. This week's review comes from Poonal Chemist, who gives us five stars and says, Wild Bo has given me no less than three nightmares. I'm only on arc 14 of Worm, but I've been reading along and listening to this podcast after, and it's a wonderful way to absorb more from the story. It's also spoiler free, which means it's basically the only Worm content I can enjoy without worry at this point. I love all parts of this podcast. It's perfectly balanced, as all things should be. I look forward <laughs> to catching up and speculating on Ward with the rest of the community. Well, it's going to be a long time before Poonal Chemist hears us read his review out loud, but uh, we're going to thank them anyway. Uh, one of the one of the things I love about this project, Matt, is there's so I think there's so many different ways in which people can absorb our content. Like we have people that have read Worm like five times and just love experiencing someone going through it for the first time again. We have people that have like read it one time and just want to go back through and see if they missed anything the first time. And then we have readers like Poonal Chemist who are absorbing the podcast as they read. And I love that people are doing it. And I love that there are so many different ways you can enjoy this. And I sincerely hope that we're enhancing all of your experiences and, and never hurting or taking away from them. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Especially because I'm like, you know, I, I just binge this thing like a madman the first time. <laughs> that sounds like a very different way of enjoying it, yeah. but uh, I, I hope I hope it's I hope it's fun. Yeah. So thank you so much, Poonal Chemist. And thank you, everyone who takes the time to listen to us and then uh, rate and review us. We really appreciate it. We love it. Yeah. Uh, all right. That's it for this week. We'll see you all right here next week for chapters five and six of Arc Nine Gleaming.
Matt, someone asked us why we haven't talked about what gleaming means yet. What does gleaming mean? It's a re- it's reflected light. Um, so what's being reflected? The ice, uh, ice. Yeah, yeah, we got we got light reflecting Baby. off the ice. We have so this, we've got we, something is the source of light, and something is reflecting it. So is goddess the source of light, and Victoria's reflecting it, or um, she's reflecting she's reflecting goddess's will. I'm not sure. Ice, ice, baby.